Well, hi there, everybody. I am Todd, and uh, I am so glad to be with you. And uh, man, this is the first time I've had on long pants in about four months, and it was a mistake. <laughs> man alive. I saw 70 degrees. I thought this would be a smart move. No, it was not. And so for those of you braving the hurricane here in your Belinda. Now, my son sent me a little caption, and this is where, depending on how this goes, I may leave it out because my wife will be in the second service, and she always says, don't say anything you didn't plan. But it's a caption, and it's your Belinda's response to the hurricane. And it's a picture of four plastic chairs in the backyard with a plastic table, and one chair is tipped over. <laughs> and it says, we are committed to rebuilding. So I feel badly for those all around the world that are dealing with difficult stuff, those folks in Lahaina. And my um, hope is you'll be praying for those folks and uh, the tragedy there. Uh, hard, uh, hard stuff everywhere. And uh, if things get worse here, Lord forgive me for what I said, uh, said, said, said earlier. Um, been away for four weeks. Really nice. Really refreshing. Uh, uh, thank you for allowing me that break. I feel great, and uh, it is so good to be with you. I missed you. Uh, while I was gone, I ended up having a conversation with uh, Jim Holiday, who happens to be, he and his wife Elaine, been a part of our church family uh, just about since the beginning. And he mentioned his wife just turned 94. So Elaine, they watch us every week. They join us every week online. Jim and Elaine, uh, happy birthday. And they have been married now 73 years. So Jim and Elaine, hello. Uh, Lord be with you. We love you and, uh, uh, and uh, stay healthy. Now there's one end of the, the spectrum. And then we had uh, another uh, beautiful uh, boy born, Elliot Salvatore. Many of you know uh, the grandfather, namesake, Jared and Kayla Rucker, and uh, we're, we're, we're celebrating with them. So we had about four weeks of, I don't think I've ever done less significant things in my life. It was four weeks unplugged. The last week we actually spent in New Hampshire with my uh, daughter and her family. That's Kirsten standing next to me. We're in Kenny Bunkport, Maine, and had some clams there. It was, uh, it was delicious. One of the significant events in our family life, uh, Kirsten there, uh, two days after this picture, uh, she had a hysterectomy. And there was a chance that uh, maybe she had some cancer. Uh, she actually, we found out this last week, did. And uh, it was early, early stage, but uh, the doctors are, are confident that they got it all, so there's not gonna have to be any chemo or, or, or radio, radiation. But uh, that was kind of a significant event in our family here for the last, uh, last few months. So thankful to God, ultimately, the doctors, but ultimately God for for his grace. So back to what made that early church so formidable, unstoppable. We've been looking at building a series. I hope you've been encouraged and some of those traits are being built up in us. I don't think there's going to be any surprise for any of us that having strong, good, 
godly leaders is a key. Churches tend to go the direction that their leaders take them. Now, the context we're looking at here this morning is Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul, you remember, got saved earlier in Acts, and he is now on his third missionary journey. And uh, uh, back in chapter 19, he went to Ephesus, and he was there three years. Started out teaching in the synagogue. That didn't go so well, so he, he, he went to this other place, Tyrannus, a secular place, and he kept preaching, and he was very successful. People were saved. People were set free from the occult. So much so that some of those silversmiths who were making some of these idols were afraid of losing their livelihood. Stephen did a nice job dealing with that last week. So he's on his way. He's been he left Ephesus after three years. The most time he spent in any one place, three years there built up the church. He's been going around. He now wants to get to Jerusalem uh, 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 for Pentecost. We're probably 26 years after Pentecost, and Pentecost became a celebration. It was a big deal. He wants to get there. He's floating around on his boat. He doesn't want to go to Ephesus and take that time, but he sends for the leaders from uh, Ephesus, the elders, and he asks them to come to him. And so what we're going to look at today is I think the only message to believers in the book of Acts. You know, Acts is about the first 30 years of the early church and how it spread. I think this is the only one directed to people who already believe, and it's directed to the leaders of this church because he's not ever going to see them again. And so it's kind of his last words, entrusting to them the care of the church. But from it, I think we can get a clear idea of how leaders ought to live. I think the principles apply to us all, but particularly what we ought to expect of, uh, of, of church leaders. Now, Paul's going to talk a lot about himself. He often gets accused of being arrogant. Paul is not arrogant. He's talking about himself as an illustration to these leaders of how they should live. He doesn't care about anybody really giving him credit. He's just trying to say the way God designed us is to learn from one another. Modeling is a key. I was actually living the way you should live. That's his point. But there's a lot of talking about himself. So now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I want to get there for Pentecost celebration. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now... Behold, I know that none of you, uh, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. 
This is the last time we're going to be together. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. A lot of words, a lot of ideas. We're going to unpack it. I want to summarize. What should we expect of our church leaders? What ought you to expect of the church leaders? I'm talking here about elders. I'm talking here about pastoral staff, certainly. Those who have the most responsibility around here. But I think of life group leaders. I think of Sunday school teachers. I think of those leading women's ministry, leading men's ministry, dealing with our students. What ought you to expect of anybody in any leadership role? Now, I think the principles apply to us all. But Paul understands he's passing this down to the elders. They're passing it on to the folks. And they're hoping that the folks pass it on. Here's my summary statement. Here's what you should expect. That's what Paul's saying. That's the big idea. You ought to expect the church leaders to wholeheartedly love and care for you. To be devoted. To give their lives for the benefit of those who treasure Christ who are a part of the church family. Lord, Lord, the power of the gospel is unstoppable. Father, we're looking at this book because we're trying to glean and we're trusting your spirit will work through it to help us see the power that you want us to enjoy in, to pro in terms of promoting the good news that Jesus transforms lives. He saves us from the pit of hell, and then he continues to fill us with his presence and with his joy and with his peace. Father, I pray that you would talk to all of we church leaders through this text. I pray that you would encourage our hearts, you'd encourage our minds, and you would encourage our trust in you. For all of us, Father, here, these principles are ones that you want those of us who treasure you <laughs> to live. They, you just want them to be a part of who we are. So I pray that you would use these words inspired by you, recorded by Luke, that were spoken by Paul to strengthen us and to fill us with hope, to fill us with vitality, to fill us with courage. 
and fill us with grace and love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the leaders are to love. That's what they're to do, to care for the folks who are in the fellowship. I'm going to divide it. And, oh, man, I forgot this. Here's where he says it most clear, clearly in the text. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's talking to the leaders. Because he understands this. The leaders have an influence in the, in the fellowship. Uh, as elders and staff, we begin almost every gathering by looking at the word and trying to hear from God. Because we're not more important to God than anybody else here, but we understand that we need to be encouraging one another spiritually. That's where it starts. That's the most important thing for us. Pay attention to yourselves as leaders. Keep encouraging one another in your walk with God. But then he says, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Here's the big idea. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. So let's talk about, first of all, the expression, because Paul's going to illustrate this pretty, pretty clearly. So a church where the leaders are, are caring for you, what's it, it look like? And Paul, again, is trying to give us an example. He's not boasting. It's to love and to care for us. Starts with devotion to promoting Jesus to everyone, everywhere. This is how you live. The most important thing in life is Jesus. There are hurricanes, there's football teams, there's golf, there's all kinds of stuff. There's family. The most important thing in life is promoting Jesus. Now from Miletus he set out to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. I was illustrating you. Do you, I was trying to help you grow for your benefit. Uh, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. I understand who I am. God saved me when Paul says he was the worst of sinners. He means it. He at least gave approval to the killing of Christians. He's no arrogance in this man. He gets that God saved him and changed him and gave him a role for promoting the gospel with tears. I love you folks. I spent three years with you, but I care for you with tears. You know, I had a great four weeks, but it didn't strike me till last week. I dealt with more friends in a month that were struggling with stuff than ever in that period of time. I got a buddy of mine from our church in Seattle who's got a grandson that it appears will die any time here from brain cancer. I got another buddy from Seattle that was early in my time diagnosed with colon cancer. 57, works in the health industry. Skinny, in great shape, always took care of himself. 57, had a colonoscopy at 50. They said, you look great, come back at 50. Little discomfort, little pain, little bulge. They opened him up inoperable, did nothing. Started him on palliative care the day after surgery. Got another buddy, I'm part of a group of businessmen, CEOs that gathers regularly and we get together with, had a significant electric skateboarding accident. Severe brain damage. 
keep up with all of you. I love you. I didn't do any work, but I do. I love you. I care about you. I know some of you, last month, not been easy. We got Bonnie. He's doing better. He's on the road to recovery. Had a great month. But I've not had so many severe things to people I care about in that period of time. My daughter's doing great. But when you're in leadership, you care. That's Paul's point here. You care about people's well-being. Being, and then with trials. Trials, we don't face anything. I've never faced anything like, like Paul has. That happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was for your good. This is how leaders love their people. They live and talk about Jesus. And they share whatever they believe God has directed is good for their people to hear. That's what y'all expect out of us. Teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta have a different view of God. You gotta quit running away from Him. You gotta repent and turn and go towards Him and treasure Christ. That's what you ought to expect of us. That nothing gets in the way. Nothing gets in the way of our promoting Jesus for your good. A dedication to promoting Jesus no matter the cost. Even though it won't always be easy. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. You ought to expect us to promote Jesus no matter the cost. Now, we're not dealing with anything like he's dealing with. He gets imprisoned. He gets beaten. He faces all kinds of difficult things. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later here, but it's not always easy to be in church leadership. There's some challenge and work that comes with it. Now, what ought you to expect? No problem for those of us in leadership. We get it. It's not going to be easy. But what's at stake is everybody's spiritual health. We'll pay whatever that price that God deems in his sovereign grace we ought to pay personally. An allegiance to our purpose. You can see how these all fit together. Paul again using himself. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Doesn't matter. I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. Now he's not saying in God's economy that his life is invaluable. He's not saying that he's not pursuing his joy. He's just saying... When you talk about Jesus and the importance of promoting him, my physical health, my well-being, whether I'm imprisoned or not or beaten or not or maybe even martyred, martyred ain't that important. Because once you see who Jesus is, he is so good. 
I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God with everyone, everywhere, no matter the cost. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because once you get him, he becomes everything. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is a hard time. He's saying goodbye. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, here's what he's saying. Oh, I've been told by several people don't tap this. My apologies. Is this irritating or do you find it engaging? How many of you find it engaging? There we go. The two of you who said that, thank you. There we go. 30 years ago, I saw what is the, the, the movie that, that, that influenced me and in the moment struck me more than any film I've seen in my life. Now, there's some classic funny ones out there that I like. It's called Schindler's List. We were in a jam theater, there wasn't an empty seat, and I just remember we sat in there for about four minutes in silence after the film, nobody moved. But one of the scenes that struck me the most was Oscar Schindler at the end of the war, and, and they depict him as saying, you know, if I'd have just sold this car, I could have saved 10 more. If I just would have spent this much money to do this, I could have saved this much more. And here's what struck me 30 years ago. I'm going to try and live my life in a way that I will never say that about promoting Jesus. I lived it. That's what Paul's saying. I've lived my life. I've lived for Jesus, and I got no Oscar Schindler regrets. None. Because I've lived for Jesus. That's what y'all ought to expect out of your leaders that we live that way. Now the motivation our leaders have to care for us, that's, that's the primary expression, promoting Jesus, easy, hard, difficult, appealing to the ear, not appealing to the ear, but, but giving it to them. What's the motivation? And Paul pulls that apart. First of all, leaders, understand the cost and the price that was paid. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. This community of faith, this group of people which God purchased with his own blood. Here's what motivates you to do it. In understanding what it costs God to procure your salvation and your people's salvation. We're going to celebrate communion today. Jesus' death is the foundation of it all. So, you leaders, take leading this fellowship very seriously. Because for all of us to enjoy this grace, God's own blood had to be shed.
beyond that. Because the Holy Spirit gave us this responsibility. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now here's what they could have said. Paul, you picked us. You came in and saved us. You put this community together and then you told a bunch of us, you, you, and you are elders. And Paul said, sure, I was a part of it, but it wasn't ultimately, ultimately me that chose you to be leaders in this community. You take this seriously because you understand it was Jesus' blood, and you take it seriously because you understood God gave you that responsibility. We have elders that get affirmed by you all. Do you all choose the elders? Yes. I hire the staff. They pull people into their leadership communities. Are we involved in this process? You all voted on me. Well, some of you who weren't here, you didn't. I've never felt ultimately called to this role because of you all. I have a responsibility to you. Don't make any, don't miss that in the least. But my responsibility to God exceeds the responsibility that I have to you, that's what I feel, by a pretty fair amount. That's what he's saying to all leaders. Jesus' blood was shed for everybody that we might enjoy this. And you got ultimately, God used people, but you got put in leadership, responsibility for some of the sheep. God gave you that responsibility. So take it seriously. Told you I was going to come back to it because Paul comes back to it. He talks about trials. He's trying to tell these leaders Part of what motivates you is your anticipation that it won't be easy. Jesus shed his blood, shed his blood. God gave you this, but don't you ever think for a moment leading God's people will always be easy. It's going to be delightful. It's going to be bring great joy. You understand, I can't imagine not being a pastor. You guys pay me to tell you about the joy in Jesus. Is it always easy? Maybe he's just talking about other churches, probably. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you within the church family. Now, he doesn't talk about threats from the outside because that's just stinking obvious to these people. He's going to tell them, it's not always going to be easy dealing with the flock. After my departure, first wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, maybe even from the elders, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years that I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Tried to direct you, tried to correct you, broke my heart. If I feel moved to call and admonish somebody, became a criteria of mine 30 or more years ago, I'm unwilling to do that until my heart breaks for that person. He's trying to tell these elders. Now, no sympathy for Paul, no sympathy for me, no sympathy for any of the elders. Did you all hear me? You heard me, right? No sympathy. 
We're promoting Jesus. There ain't anything better. But Paul, in motivating these leaders, wants them to understand it's not necessarily going to be simple and easy all the time. These last several years have been the most challenging of my pastorate. The stuff going on out there in the culture The movement away in our culture from what I would consider God-honoring values that continues to quicken at a pace and accelerate. Woke, Christian nationalism. I talked to a few folks about even using those terms this morning, and I was advised not even to use those terms. People respond. They'll get upset. I'll just tell you, in the last several years, because of this anxiety and anger out in the world, I spend more time thinking about how I can precisely say things to not unnecessarily tick people off than ever in my life. Now, promoting Jesus, there is nothing better. Barna did a survey, rates of pastors considering resignation from the pastorate higher than ever. It's about a year and a half old. 38% of full-time pastors, the question was, have you in the last year seriously considered resigning from the pastorate? 38% said yes. What really concerned me is 46% of full-time pastors under the age of 45. The next generation. Breaks my heart. Now, I can assure you, there ain't anything better than promoting Jesus. But you ought to expect your elders to understand it's not necessarily going to be easy and stay committed going forward. Hey, Rob Kemp and uh, Cal Calma, will you guys come up here? So these are two of our elders. The younger one is Kyle. I like that. <laughs> the good-looking one is Rob. <laughs> so these are two of the guys that uh, are part of our elder board. I, it's a privilege for me to say two buddies. Uh, we were friends before they were ever on the elder board. I think our friendship has continued, has it? Sort of. Sort of. There you go. So you guys answer this. I got one mic in whatever order you want to go. But the uh, first question I have for you is, you were approached about considering being an elder some years ago. You guys understood it would take away from family time, work time, all that other stuff. And uh, what was it that, that prompted you to say, hey, I'm interested in uh, taking on this responsibility? Um, I think for me, I took it seriously when you asked Cool. Hold I think, that real close. I think I have an affinity and an, an affection for this place that goes uh, far beyond uh, just attending here. I think I care about the people here. I care about um, how this place is going to be going forward. And um, my life has been changed here. So the conversations that I have with my wife, with my kids is different because of this place, because of folks around here that have invested in me. And uh, I want that for others. I want that for the next generation. I want that for 
for more folks and as much happiness and joy that Jesus brings me, I want uh, people in this community to have the same thing. So Very cool. That's why I took it. That's why I said yes. If you can help influence and get more people that same thing. That's pretty hip. How about you, Rob? Well, you know this. I was uh, hoping to... Uh, that we would have a little more prosperity gospel and more with uh, joy and suffering. But for those of you who don't know me, that's a total joke. So please understand. Uh, but sim similarly to Kyle, and, and uh, you know, 25, 26 years I think we've been here, and, and this church has been uh, uh, pretty, pretty good to us, uh, is an understatement. And uh, the relationships, and uh, but for me, it's just I don't understand. Uh, culture and, and this quest for truth and why they have a difficult time finding it here. I just don't understand that. It feels like we're ripe for revival um, and, uh, you know, people are looking for truth in, in the wrong ways uh, and certainly uh, TikTok is probably not the solution for truth, but for whatever reason people go there. Um, and I'm most proud of this church for the truth that it continues to, to preach and, and uh, that we continue to learn. And uh, I, I am just very hopeful that our doors just continue to open and more and more people flow mm. through here uh, and because it's, it's a great place. And very cool. Very cool. For the joy you do this thing. Now, is it always easy being an elder? You guys get a view. Again, elders have a view that's different than if you're not an elder. Uh, is it always simple and easy to Paul's point here? know the answer. Um, yeah, there's, there's eight men that are passionate, enthusiastic guys that are elders at our church. And um, I guess, as you would guess, we're not always, always on the same page. But we're on the same page about the big things mm -hmm. and about Jesus and about united ways. But we're really trying hard to make the best decision for the most people. And that's not always easy. Um, I think for the next generation, for years, for people years and years to come, we have to think about that. And that's a responsibility that I think, as uh, Paul talks about, as Todd talks about, I think we take pretty seriously. But as a result of that, uh, it's not always easy. We care a lot, a lot of people. When people are hurting around here, that affects us. And so um, we're in a war. We know that. But um, I also think we take the responsibility uh, seriously. And then we, we get to reap the benefits of seeing people have joy when they're suffering, that when they're more confident. When we see people being baptized, uh, that's a result of all the work that we do and all the work that you guys do, and we get to be God's hands and feet, and like you said, there's nothing better. Nothing better. How about you, buddy? Always easy, though, for you, isn't it? I, I think the question is, has it ever been easy? Uh, and, and, and no, it's, it's uh, um, you know, I've, I've been on, I, I was just thinking, I didn't know this question was coming, actually, so I was thinking about it on the way in. That was funny. But, uh, and there was about 10 or 10 or 15 boards I think I've been on in, in the past 30 years. And, and uh, I've never been on a board, though, where I've been totally consumed by it like this one. And, uh, I mean, I will wake up in the middle of the night uh, with, with thoughts. I walk my dog almost every day. And I would say 80% of the time is thinking about RCC. Mm. I have talked to my wife more about RCC in the last five years than in the last 25 years that we've been here. Uh, because of my love for it, and and uh, no, it's it's not easy. Uh, we did go through COVID. I don't know if you remember that. I know we have the hurricane coming today, but COVID was just here, and that was not an easy thing to go through, as you all know, uh, as a church body. Uh, but here we are, 
and uh, I, I am uh, privileged to have uh, been on the board with each one of the elder uh, members, and, and uh, I'm grateful for the relationships, uh, but I, I'm, I, I'm, this is just me, and I, I know I'm speaking on behalf of many of the other elders who share the same thing, uh, just in terms of our care and, and conviction for all of us here at RCC. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks for uh, sharing. So any sympathy from these guys for us? None, because this is a delight. Yeah, thank you, guys. Now, this is where I go unprompted, but my wife's not here, so I'm going to go here. So Rob and I have been buddies for 20 years since I moved here, and uh, he's got this sense of humor. I didn't ask his permission. If it's one of you, I'll ask your permission before I tell these stories. But it's back when we were in First Peter, and we were perching on joy and suffering, and he is a master with emails that are sarcastic. And I remember coming in Monday morning, and the email uh, uh, he had sent was, uh, enough about joy and suffering. I want to hear prosperity gospel. Respectfully, Rob Kemp. Now, he didn't mean it as he said this here. And I got one other story. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Are you okay with that? The Wednesday before I hurt my knee. You guys remember that? All these elders are sitting around telling you, I hurt my shoulder, my back hurts, all this stuff hurts, and all this whining. I just sat there and listened, and I finally went, Nothing. I've talked with my doctor. I think there's an advantage to carrying extra weight. I have not persuaded him yet. I hurt my knee. I'm in the ER over here at Placentia Linda Hospital. And technology, again, you've got to be careful. My wife told my daughter, and my daughter posted something somewhere, and somehow Rob online gets it. I'm sitting in the ER. They're looking at my knee, fixing it. And this is the text I get from Rob. So we will never have to hear about how healthy you are ever again, will we? <laughs> and then finished it with, respectfully, Rob Kemp. That was it. Not a how are you, hope you're going to be okay. And, and for those of you who don't know me, I do understand I have a really perverted love language, right? Because that was, I'm literally sitting there with my knee laughing out loud. Anyway, that has nothing to do with a sermon. And if you get one of those notes from Rob, I think there's a good chance that he's being sarcastic. <laughs> the foundation our leaders have to care for us. We've talked about the expression, promoting Jesus no matter what. The motivation, really nothing more important than God's people and, and doing that in the foundation. Devoted to God's word. And now I commend you to God. Paul's leaving. He's not going to be there anymore. They got to be wrestling with, what are we going to do without Paul? And Paul says... No worries. You've got God. And to the word of his grace, for those folks, they don't have the advantage that we have of Scripture. It was mostly what Paul told them. Now, he's going to write them a letter. We're going to look at it beginning in the fall. It's my favorite book of the Bible. It's called Ephesians. Now, if you go to Revelation and read about the church there, I'm not sure these leaders followed Paul's encouragement all that well. As I love what Kyle said, we're in a war, and we got to be paying attention spiritually. Uh, they didn't do that well. To the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and strengthen us. For us, that word of grace is scripture. It's why we're, we're committed to trying to find the truth of who God is, and we are through scriptures, because that's, that's how we see who he is. That's how he leads us. That's how he speaks to us. Enjoying our inheritance as God's children. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, this sanctified is being used here in the, in the sense here of being saved. You got this inheritance. When you see the truth of who Jesus is, our lives are transformed. We're forgiven our sins. We're put right with God. From that, we get this peace that surpasses human understanding. We have purpose. What's our purpose? Enjoy God and help everybody else enjoy him. That's everybody's purpose. The leaders, Paul's saying, you better stink and be living this. Because you got a responsibility to, to show the way. Joy, 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 because there ain't anything better than walking with Jesus. This responsibility isn't easy. Let me tell you, I can't imagine doing anything else other than helping people. I get to do that all day, every day. It is a delight. And finally, when we're at death's door and we're looking that final enemy in the face, we go, you got nothing. Satan, you got nothing on me. God looks at me and he sees me as righteous because of my faith in Christ. I'm going to spend eternity not having to face the challenges of this world. They'll be done. That's where leaders live. That's where their, their foundation is. And it comes from the word and the strength from there. And I love the, the, the way Paul's going to finish this little message to these guys. Because he's summarizing now and it, it, how this foundation in Jesus, his word, what does it produce? We don't treasure stuff. Having stuff is not a bad thing. God created all of this for us to enjoy. But you want to talk, there's lots of battles we're facing out there. And God has been so stinking good to us. Now, I live a very comfortable life. I got golf clubs of material possessions, fairly about the most valuable thing. My car blows up, I don't care. My house burns down, but I like my golf clubs. Here's what this Jesus guy does. He frees us up to enjoy this stuff, but we don't live for it. This is different than how most people are living in the world. They're looking for personal acclaim, and they're looking to accumulate stuff because they think that's the key to happiness. Paul goes back to how he looked at this. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Back to illustrating what this looks like. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. I wasn't trying to make a living off y'all. I wasn't trying to get rich. I never cared about that stuff. Because when you get Jesus as your treasure, this other stuff is just inconsequential. It just doesn't matter that much. That's what loving Jesus and meeting him and having him experience, it's what it does is it transforms us. We have people looking for handouts. The lottery, I think, sending from the government, and I'm in favor of helping people who can't make themselves, and I, so don't hear too much here. People are looking to get stuff. How many of you like to receive gifts? I still like gifts. 
It's an expression of love. I hope that means more to me, but sometimes I get some pretty good stuff. I'm like, hmm, appreciate the intent, but you really killed it with this one. This is good. But Jesus changes that. We don't treasure stuff. We treasure loving Jesus and because of that, loving others. So I love the way Paul ends this I think only message to Christians in the book of Acts. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, here's how those who love Christ live. We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that quote has almost always been used, it feels like to me, exclusively in terms of money. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I think it certainly applies. I remember hearing John Piper preach years ago and he talked about we can have views to money. We can steal to get. We can work to get. Or we can work to give. It's more blessed. It makes you happier. You got this Jesus who comes into us and gives to us and fills us. We can't keep it to ourselves. That would hurt. Includes money, but when he talks here about more, more blessed to give, he's not just talking about money. He's talking about our time, our energy, our gifts. Our money, sure. He tells these leaders, bring back to your people, this is the way those who love Christ live. When Jesus comes in our life, we find more joy in giving ourselves away than we do in receiving stuff. Is there joy in receiving stuff for us? Share. It's a sign of people's affection and love. Oh, but the joy of giving away what we have in Jesus. Oh, man, there's nothing better. So our church leaders here, I put, have discovered, and what I mean are still discovering, including me. Should have put it in a participial form. We're still discovering, and we want to live and pass on to the church family that the happiest life is to enjoy Jesus and use all our resources, our time, our energy, and our money. This is where the greatest joy is found, wherever they are on their spiritual journey. Yet to meet him, already know him, we're all given our lives so other people can experience more of his limitless love. And from whom does it ultimately come? 
These are his words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 